Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I know that uh, I know they say you grow up and you kind of like put some of the, the childish things behind you of, of excitement and, and whatnot, but, you know, I find that as Christmas gets closer and closer, I can't help but get more and more excited. Now, I'm not getting sick to my stomach like I was when I was little, but, I mean, come on, you, you can't help but get excited as some of the responsibilities you have to get done are done and, and set aside, and you get to look forward to that day when you can wake up and there's nothing on your plate but to relax and have fun. Now, admittedly so, some of us have to wake up earlier than others because there are children in our house who deem that Christmas Eve starts before the sun comes up, but uh, it's nonetheless a great day to celebrate. And so my hope and prayer for us all, both here in the room and as well as those of us gathered online, is that we would allow our hearts and our minds to go to that place of joy and rejoicing and celebration, uh, even now as we spend time in God's Word this morning. So, Merry Christmas again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like, intersperse that into my sermon to see if you're really listening. Merry Christmas. Yeah, good, 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 good. So, this morning, we're actually wrapping up our series that we've called He Is. Right? And, and in a sense, it's a series that we've kind of put as an exclamation point on our walk through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the narrative of the life of Jesus from John's perspective, from his observation of Jesus in history. And, and so as we come into Advent, when Christ is born, we can see this emphasis on who it is that's actually born. And the, the story we come to this morning is that he, he's actually God. That Jesus is God's with us. And so, as the Gospel of John is a look at Jesus' life, so we come to this place in the Gospel of Matthew where we look at Jesus' origin story. Do you know what an origin story is? Did you know that you, you as well have an origin story? Superman was born by the name of Kal-El on the planet Krypton. Right? Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter, they grew up not really knowing what their origin story was. They kind of found out later on in life. St. Augustine, who, who was one of the early shapers of the church, he wrote his origin story down in a book called Confessions. Actually, origin stories go even further back in history. In fact, the, the Bible is crafted around these origin stories. In Genesis chapter 2, Moses writes, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 5, he writes, This is the book of, genera- of the generations of Adam. In Genesis 6, he writes, these are the generations of Noah. He uses this formula to describe the generations of Abram, later known as Abraham, in our Bibles. He uses it for Isaac and for Jacob and for Esau. And Matthew uses the same formula to tell us of the origin story of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What, what's the story of how you came to be who you are today? I was born in West Warwick, Rhode Island in 1980 in December. I grew up living in Shelton for a few years before my family moved to upstate New York. But hands down, the most shaping experiences of my life in young adulthood and into adulthood were those more difficult, challenging times of loss and grief in my life. Those are the moments I look back on in my story and understand that I came to be who I am today by God using those moments in my life to shape me into who I am and what I'm about today. See, I think 
what we need to understand is we each have an origin story. And that origin story tells us something about who we are. Not just who we are, but what we're meant to do. How God has equipped us and what he's calling us to do. And Jesus, though he is the son of God, has an origin story that we can learn from. And that's what we look to at Advent. Jesus' own origin story. It's important for us to know. I don't know if you were aware of this, but in the days that Jesus lived, the name Jesus was not an uncommon name. In fact, it was, it was pretty common. Many parents wanted their child, their son, to grow up to be uh, the one who would save God's people, right? So what makes Jesus' story, the Jesus born to Mary and Joseph, unique and special and transformative as we come to know it? Well, I think that's what Matthew's point is. Because he takes this boy who was born in a manger in Bethlehem during the reign of Herod, during the, first, the last days of the first century B.C., and he brings to light some very important things. He brings to light some very important things about this baby who was first introduced to farmers, who was worshipped by wise guys, and who was later hunted by Pharaoh. Right? Listen as I read to us from Matthew's account of Jesus' origin story. Now, now the birth of Jesus, uh, sorry, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Merry Christmas. Hey, good. We're still with me. Good, good, good. That's a test. I'll try not to test you too much. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word can, uh, can, can lift our spirits, can encourage us, can strengthen us, can direct us, can give us wisdom, uh, can give us comfort in times of grief. Lord, we pray that your word this morning would give us comfort in knowing the life of Jesus was so much more than knowing this amazing man in history. There's something very special and unique about Jesus. Help our minds and our hearts to embrace that truth this morning as we spend time here in the Gospel of Matthew. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So a major theme in the Gospel of Matthew, something that's important for us to understand as we read through this passage this morning, is that Matthew was very focused on God being a promise-keeping God. He, he cared about pointing to those places where God was fulfilling a promise in the life of his people. E even Jesus' birth is told with God's promises in mind. You know, Matthew tells uh, of Jesus' birth from Joseph's perspective, from the, the father's perspective. I love it. I think that's, that's hilarious. It's great, right? 
Like if I, I ask my dad to tell the story of our birth, it's a much different story he's telling than what, if I were to ask my mom, right? My dad recounts going to get a sandwich and, and, and waiting for us to be born. My mom has a different memory of those experiences, right? I think that's true for, for anyone who, who's walked through that, that kind of place where they've uh, had a perspective on a birth story. See, Matthew tells a story of Jesus' birth through Joseph's lenses, and he does it for a reason. Not to kind of paint a pretty picture of, of how birth happens, but, but he does it for a very specific reason. He primarily focuses on how Jesus' birth is a fulfillment of God's past promises. In verse 22 of our passage, right, right in the middle, right in kind of the, the meat of our scripture sandwich for our, the pericope we're looking at this morning, Matthew tells us that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, the prophet he's speaking of is the prophet Isaiah, who wrote 700 years before Christ's birth. And specifically, he's talking about something where, where Isaiah wrote in chapter 7, verse 10, therefore, sorry, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what's interesting to me about this promise is that, that it's seemingly actually fulfilled in Isaiah's time. See, Isaiah is speaking to King Ahaz, and King Ahaz is kind of in a difficult place where the kings of, of, of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah are set to attack, uh, sorry, not Judah, of Syria, are, are set to attack Judah unless they succumb to the pressure and join them in their fight against Assyria. The problem is, King Ahaz doesn't really trust what Isaiah is saying. He doesn't, he's having a hard time trusting what God is, is doing and promising to do through Isaiah. And so Isaiah gives him this promise of one who will be born to fulfill what God had promised. See, in theology, this is called double fulfillment. That, that God's promise would be fulfilled in the present moment, but a much fuller, more magnificent, grand fulfillment of the promise would be done in the future. It's kind of like you're standing looking at a mountain range, and you see these, what seems like one mountain peak, but as you look a little bit closer, it's actually, you realize that there are two separate mountain peaks, and, and if you were to pay closer attention, you'd realize that they're not back-to-back. But if you turn to the side a little bit, you realize that the distance between these mountain peaks is miles and miles and miles. From your perspective, it looks like they're going to happen at the same moment, or, or that they're going to be there at the same time. But they're actually separated by many years. They're two separate mountain peaks, two separate fulfillments of a promise. See, God promises that, uh, God's promises fit into this type of fulfillment where, where a, a promise would be fulfilled through a son, a son born to his people. And if we read on in the book of Isaiah, we'd realize that Isaiah absolutely had another child in mind, a child that would fulfill a promise in the far distant future. See, if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah tells us this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And it sounds like he's speaking in the past tense, but this is still a future fulfillment. He's just speaking about it in such a way that he has such a firm conviction that this will happen. He speaks about it as if it already has happened. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. it's It's a promise that Isaiah sees being fulfilled in the far distant future. It's a second mountain peak that we're just having a hard time seeing if we only look at it in the present historical context of King Ahaz. I think it, it should jog our memories that this future day is in mind for Isaiah, that, that God will provide a king from the line of David, as he says in, in, in chapter 9, the, the throne of David. It should jog our memories that this is what's actually being talked about in the Gospel of Matthew. Where, where, God, where Matthew writes the, the book of the genealogy, sorry, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. Somehow, Matthew has connected Jesus, born of Mary, who's not of the line of David, to the lineage of King David. There's something going on here that Matthew wants to draw our attention to. See, Matthew's point in connecting Jesus' birth with Isaiah's prophecy 700 years before is to help the reader grasp the magnitude of the, of the birth of Jesus. That, that this birth would be history-altering, life-changing, miraculous. And, and here in our passage, Matthew wants us to understand two very important things about the birth of Jesus. Two very important things about this child born while Herod was king, born outside of Jerusalem in a town of Bethlehem around 6 BC. See, Matthew wanted us to understand, first of all, that Jesus' purpose was to save his people from their sins. That Jesus was born with a purpose, to save his people from their sins. And secondly, that he would be God with us. Listen again to verses 18 through 21 of our passage. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, I think the naming of Jesus is very important for us to to notice. I think typically when we come to this passage, we we think of the miraculous nature of of Mary being a virgin and giving birth to a son. We think of Joseph being this righteous man who who obeyed the law, the Mosaic law, but also didn't want to put Mary to shame. And so he went about fulfilling the law in a way that was respectful for her. All very important things to the narrative of Jesus' birth. But what I want us to notice this morning is how Matthew makes a point to talk about the naming of Jesus. And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. The first is the meaning of the name Jesus. It's, it has significant meaning, as I was mentioning before. In the Greek form, Jesus is the, the biblical name Joshua. And in Old Testament Hebrew, it was understood to, to be um, uh, with the meaning of Yeshua, which is, uh, which is meaning uh, the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. 
It, it, it gives this, this meaning to the baby uh, that, that he has been given a mission, that he was born to accomplish saving the people, but he's not just anyone who's being sent to save God's people. There's a whole book in the Old Testament dedicated to God sending people to rescue God's people. Go look at the book of Judges. There's plenty of humans that have been sent by God with a purpose like that, but there's something unique about Jesus. He's not just a person. He's Yahweh. Yahweh saves. There's significance in this name. Think about it for a minute. When you give something a name, you, you kind of think about giving it meaning, right? If you've ever named a pet or a child or a stuffed animal, you, you give it meaning when you give it a name. When, when we named our son Alex, we, we, we gave him a middle name of my uncle. Both of us love my uncle, and we, we think very highly of him. And, and, and we think, man, wouldn't it be great for Alex to be more like my uncle? So we gave, gave him the middle name James. When, when Max was born, we thought, man, wouldn't it be great if Max was like me? I mean, right? <laughs> Thank you. I, I hope the discussion board is going crazy with acknowledgement and affirmation on that. So we gave Max the middle name Daniel, hoping that he would fulfill that purpose of being like his dad. When, when, uh, when my daughter came along, we had the perfect name picked out. And then she was born, and, and my, my wife, Tara, leaned over. She goes, you know what? I, I really want to give her another middle name. I want to name her after my grandmother. And, and so uh, Eliza was given another middle name. And, and, and we had every hope and expectation that she would be just as lovable and feisty as Tara's grandmother. And she has fulfilled that promise through and through. <laughs> see, each in their own way, when we look at our kids, we see, we see them fulfilling a purpose. Right? When, you, when you think of the, the pets in your home, when you think about giving a name to something, you think of its, of its meaning and its significance and its purpose. See, G- Jesus is given the name which means Yahweh saves because the angel was making a point. God was making a point in giving this instruction to his messenger to tell Joseph to name him Yahweh saves because this is the one that they've been waiting for. This is not just a great man who was born into history. This is God's instrument of our salvation, being born in Bethlehem. In Psalm 130, the psalmist writes, O Israel, hope in the Lord. There's that Yahweh term that's that's in the Hebrew. For with the Lord, with Yahweh, there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, all his sins. Again, this is a promise that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The one who came to save us from our sins. Even Jesus' name points to the promise that he would fulfill to rescue his people from their sin. Now, the other reason I think it's important for us to pay attention to the angel telling Joseph what he's to name the child is that in the culture of their day, Someone naming a child, a father naming a child, was a father legally adopting that child into his family. So by Joseph being the one to name the child, he was legally laying claim to the child as his own, with all the rights and responsibilities that go with that. This child was now of Joseph's lineage. This child was now of the line of David. 
This child was now to be one who would sit on the throne of David forever and ever. When the angel addresses Joseph, he doesn't say, hey, Joseph of Nazareth. He would have been right if he did. Joseph came from Nazareth. No, what he said was, Joseph, son of David. He, he points to that, that very important history and lineage that Joseph has. The lineage that connects Jesus to this promise in the Old Testament, way back in 2 Samuel, when God made his covenant with David. Listen to what he says there in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says this to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever ever before me, your throne shall be established forever. Now, this is another one of those examples of this double fulfillment of a prophecy. Because in the immediate context, God was talking about David's son, Solomon, who would build the temple, who would sit on the throne, right? And he was this temporary fulfillment of this promise. But the, the more magnificent and full promise would come through Jesus Christ, who would sit on the throne of David forever and ever. Jesus would more accurately fulfill this passage than Solomon ever could. See, God made a promise. And he's a, he's a promise-keeping God. David's family line would forever reign over God's kingdom. And the baby boy whom Jesus named is this ultimate king to reign forever. And so Jesus, Jesus will love, live up to his name and to his heritage. He absolutely will fulfill. History will prove that he fulfills the meaning of his name, not just in the name that, that, he, is, that he lives with, but the name that he is given by his father, Joseph of the line of David. See, receiving his name is very important to Jesus' origin story. It's not a detail we look past, but understanding Jesus is who he is, even because Joseph was wise enough to do what the angel said and name the child Jesus. But there's one more important reason why Matthew records the birth of Jesus the way he does. In quoting Isaiah 7, Verse 14, Matthew tells us again, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew tells us means God with us. See, even more than the miracle of a young virgin conceiving and giving birth to a, a, a son is the miracle of God with us. God stepping into his creation, dwelling among us, being a, a, a rescuer on our behalf so that we can be with him forever. The child born in a manger is not just another great teacher or, or prophet or, or judge. He, he's more than royalty. Jesus is God come to dwell among us. And so the character of Jesus that we come to see most clearly during Advent is, is that God is with us. Think about that for a moment. Not like, hey, God's on your side, or God, God is there for you, or God supports you, loves you. God is with us. 
He entered into history. He entered into creation to dwell with us. When you think about your faith, when you think about walking with Jesus, being a Jesus follower, being a disciple of Christ, how much of this idea of God with us factors into your daily walk with Jesus? That God is with us. And it all goes back to this moment where Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, comes to dwell among us and be with us. He's God with his disciples in Matthew chapter 8 where there's the the raging storms and and, and yet he calms the sea in the storms. He's God with his disciples in Matthew 18 where where Jesus outlines how we navigate conflict in the the church and the relationships we have. And, And when Jesus famously says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am, there I am among them. He's God with his disciples in, in Matthew 28 when he sends us out to go and make more followers of Christ, to make more disciples of Jesus. And he, he says this in verse 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's agent of our salvation, he, he's with us. He's more than a a prophet or a teacher or a king. He's all of those things. But even better, he's God with us. See, Jesus' origin story is so much more than a biographical account of his family tree. It's so much more than an account of where he was born. His origin story tells us who he is and what he came to do. He came to rescue us from the shame and the sorrow of our sin. He came to cast light upon the darkness that we're living in. God entered into his creation because he loves the people that he's come to rescue. In verses 24 and 25 of our passage, Matthew writes this. He says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. It's as simple and straightforward as that. I mean, that's the difference between a guy telling a birth story and a woman telling a birth story. But, but it's as simple as that. He, he came to his sense that he woke up from his dream. He took Mary as his wife, knew her not until she gave birth, and then He called his name Jesus, just as the angel commanded him. So I think what Matthew intended by by recording things this way is so that we wouldn't miss the larger things that he was pointing out. That we wouldn't skirt too quickly past the truth that he was highlighting. That Jesus ticks all the boxes of the fulfillments of God's promises. And certainly of this greatest of promises that a descendant of the line of David would come and he would rescue his people from their sins and the descendant would be God with us. This is huge. This is why we can say Merry Christmas. This is why we can set aside all of our worries and anxieties, all the frustration with the disruptions that we've had to endure because none of that matters in light of the fact that God left his seat in heaven came to this earth and humbly died that we might have life, that we might be given a new life where none of those worries and anxieties matter, but where we're invited to to live in the 
the, the embrace of a God who delights in us. Christ, the Savior, is born. In a moment, Clayton is going to lead us again in a verse or two of the song he sang earlier. And would you do me a favor? While he's singing, would you use this time to think about what does it mean to you that God would leave heaven for you? What does it mean for you, as, as the author of Hebrews would write about, that we have a God who understands the depth of our pain and our suffering, who understands what we've gone through, and yet he was without sin, and so he lived perfectly in such a way that we could walk in this newness of life. Would you consider what does it mean to you that God considers you so important to him that he would humble himself, even to the point of death, so that he could redeem you back from sin? This, This is what we celebrate at Advent. He is God. He is God with us.